Bobby Hurley up the floor with Leitner. They throw it to the left of the floor. Leitner catches, comes down, dribbles, shoots, Episode of 2.1 Seconds to Madness, your college basketball podcast. I am Russell Hainline. Guys, so much is going on. So much is going on, not just in the world of college basketball, but also in the world of just myself and your intrepid uh, 2.1 Seconds co-host, KB. Um, You're probably wondering why there was not an episode last week. If you follow us on Twitter, you might know. Um, But I live in Los Angeles. I was an aspiring professional screenwriter, and now I am a professional screenwriter. Uh, I got uh, a movie sold, which is great, Uh, but it also meant, slash means, I suppose, that my schedule in terms of taking meetings, getting work done, uh, etc., has been a little more sporadic. My ability to watch games, uh, a little more sporadic over the last uh, few weeks, uh, which is why the schedule has been... A little all over the place. It's why last week I, KB and I just simply weren't able to get anything done at all. Our schedules weren't able to line up. Uh, KBAD this week, sick with the flu. Uh, <laughs> you know, every week either he's got something or I've got something. Uh, so, again, apologies to our normal listeners who are used to listening to the banter of myself and KBAD. Hopefully we will have him back next week. Uh, hopefully we will have an episode next week. But in regards to... The sporadic nature of the schedule, having a co-host. Maybe I'll try and get. Uh, I know we've had a couple of people um, who I've talked to about being possible guest hosts uh, with me uh, in the circumstance that I am not able to record with KBAT on a given week. Um, again, not his fault. It is my fault for having sort of a crazy schedule. Um, and then this week, the only day I could do, he has the flu. So <laughs> it is what it is. Um, but thank you to everybody who still listens. Thank you to everybody who values the show. Thank you to everybody who leaves reviews on iTunes, who follows us on Twitter, etc. cetera. Uh, again, it means so much to people who shout us out on Reddit. It means a great deal, uh, and I'm just really happy to be back this week. Uh, I've not been able to watch a ton of basketball over the last two weeks, uh, sadly. Uh, I've been able to watch a few games, though, and I've been following sort of a few teams in particular teams that are of interest, so uh, I've not been able to see as many of sort of the smaller teams, the mid-majors, as I like to, but uh, I have seen a bunch of a few uh, notable teams, notable players, so I sort of wanted to make this episode a themed episode. The theme of this episode is going to be good and bad, right, and basically I'm just going to talk about the teams that I've been seeing and what I think the good is, what I think the bad is how they're going to win the title, how they're going to lose the title, uh, and I'll have sort of a special players only one at the end. Um, in order to not start, people always complain that I start with Duke, and they're probably just th- complaining that everybody tends to start with Duke uh, because Duke's sort of a big name in the old college world, so I'll, I'll leave them for last. I'll start somewhere else. Uh, let's start in the Big Ten. Big Ten's uh, pretty 
week this year. Uh, not overly impressed with the Big Ten, uh, but I've gotten to see a few Big Ten games recently. I want to talk about Maryland to start, uh, the Terrapins. Uh, there's some good there, obviously. Uh, the rebounding, I think, is really great for them. It's certainly helping them out. Bruno Fernando uh, and Sikowski. Fernando sort of being a surprise lottery pick potential player. Uh, cleaning up the glass. Uh, obviously, it's going to help with shot volume in a big way. It's going to help um, their defense, which they need uh, in a way. They're improving their turnover rate. I uh, Last episode, I sort of ragged on Maryland a lot for turning the ball over uh, a great deal. And at least so far in Big Ten play, they've improved that to some extent. It's a very small sample size. But certainly, if you're a Maryland fan, you're hopeful that they can keep that up. That will certainly help them long term. And then good free throw rate. Um, you know, they, they're they pretty aggressive with their driving. They get fouled a lot. Um, all very good things for the Maryland offense, which is really important because then when you get to the bad, uh, then you have to talk about their defense. Their defense is, you know, quite possibly the worst in the Big Ten so far through uh, this sort of smaller schedule. Um, obviously, the Ohio game was a calamity. The Michigan State game was a calamity. And, you know, maybe it's maybe it's just because their schedule has been pretty hard so far, right? Michigan State on the road, Ohio State on the road, Michigan on the road. You know, those obviously uh, are pretty tough. The back end of their schedule will be significantly more forgiving. But that having been said, they still have Purdue on the road. they got to play Michigan State again. I don't think Indiana on the road is going to be a pushover with the Maryland defense sort of being how it's been. Uh, they've given up over a point per possession to every team they've played so far. And that's just not going to get it done when when ultimately you are potentially a turnover-prone team and you know not elite in terms of shooting the ball. Uh, they've got a lot of scoring options, but they've had some consistency issues. You'd like to think if you're a Maryland fan that they can lock down on defense when needed at the end of games. Obviously, they were not able to do so at the end of the Michigan game, which had sort of one of the more uh, disappointing endings, I'm sure, for a fan uh, of anybody where they just couldn't contain, uh, if memory serves, Abdul Rahman. And, you know, uh, Maryland being very free-throw reliant for their points is, is definitely a good thing. But that also means that on the road in particular, they're going to have a rougher time of it because if they're not getting those fouls called, they, they may struggle to score. Uh, they put up, you know, 22% of their points uh, are free throws throughout, you know, and that's that's not in Big Ten play. That's on the season. So you really want to see them getting a little bit more done. They're obviously very young, uh, so that obviously plays a large role in why away games also are going to be tough. I think there's one of those teams that will probably be better next year than this year. Um, <clears throat> you know, Justin Jackson presumably will come back. I think they'll lose Fernando, but they'll bring back, uh, you know, a, a decent number of people. You know, Marcel, uh, Cowan, uh, Herter for sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there there's upside long-term, but I think short-term, um, yeah, it may, it may be sort of a middling like 9-9 nine and nine sort of season in Big Ten play for Maryland. Now let's talk about Michigan State. The good, the great, great ball movement. Um, best assist to field goal made ratio in the country on the season. Um, 
you know, and when you watch them play, that's that's a given. Uh, the ball doesn't tend to stick too often, uh, which makes for makes for really pretty basketball from time to time. Uh, and they've also got a really deep rotation. They consistently play at least eight men, sometimes ten. Definitely will help. Uh, but the bad, we've talked about some of these things in the past for Michigan State, uh, still very turnover prone. Um, you know, when they lose or when they struggle, uh, they're definitely struggling to keep the ball in their hands, which is not good, needless to say. Um, if you rattle Winston and Langford, uh, you can beat them, you know, because Miles Bridges is not really a take-over-the-game kind of guy, or at least he has not been consistently to date. So, you know, whenever you see a game in which Winston and Langford sort of combine for, like, 20-ish points on mediocre shooting, or if you see, like, a decent amount of turnovers on the spreadsheet, uh, on the box score there, then, yeah, then they're very vulnerable. Um, You know, I have yet to see Miles Bridges, when Winston and Langford are struggling, he's not really a ball-dominant kind of guy who can just put up that 25, 27-point game when the team needs. And the other thing is uh, Jaron Jackson, who is a terrific prospect, um, who I like a great deal, who I'd take pretty high in next year's NBA draft, he does have a very big problem, which is his foul rate. Um, he averages nearly six fouls every 40 minutes um, in Big Ten play, and that is a lot. That <laughs> That is uh, the most in the Big Ten by a lot. Um, I think the next most foul-prone guy is like 5.3. Um, yeah, that's just not going to get it done when they desperately need him on the court if they are going to win uh, games like that, um, especially because their interior play, Nick Ward, not a very good defender. Uh, they've got some bodies down low, but ultimately I, I think their success is very reliant on them. And again, that has to do with maybe Miles Bridges can turn it around, be a consistent sort of 25, 27-point player when these other guys are struggling, but right now they are very much a team <laughs> that's the end of the sentence. I didn't have another word after that. They're very much a team. They rely on each other, and they have a few sort of weaker links, and so that then makes them very vulnerable, losing to Michigan at home, nearly losing to Rutgers. Um, you know, would would have been very, very disastrous, obviously, for uh, for Michigan State at home at that. Um, Ohio State, I want to talk about them. Uh, Kata Bates-Diop. One of the best players in the country right now that nobody's really talking about. Uh, he would be my vote for Big Ten Player of the Year so far. They are currently the best offense in conference play um, for the Big Ten. 58% from two, 45% from three. And they play stout defense, especially on the interior. Um, you know, Chris Holtman, anybody who watched his Butler teams knows they're going to get after it on that side, which is really good. Um, the bad is... You have to sort of project, because so far, if you're an Ohio State fan, you have to feel like this is the best possible uh, beginning of the season you could have imagined, right? Um, but they're not a strong rebounding team, especially on the offensive boards. And that makes me wonder, going forward, you know, what will happen if, slash when, their three-point shooting regresses. Presumably, they're not going to shoot 45% from three all season long in Big Ten Conference play. Let's say it ends up more like 38 39%, which is still very good. It'd still be a very, very good uh, percentage. But then that's fewer possessions in which they're going to have scoring because their offensive rebounding is not especially terrific. 
Um, and, you know, let's let's also look at, like, the sunniest possible projection, right, which is the Big Ten is pretty weak this year. Um, you know, Purdue and Michigan State are the top teams, but not necessarily untouchable, you know, uh, and you can sort of envision a scenario in which Ohio State, you know, if they are able to, um, you know, avoid too many losses. I mean, the only obvious possible losses on the board are Purdue on the road and then Michigan on the road potentially, but, you know, I think Ohio State matches up against Michigan pretty well. I mean, let's talk about the sunniest possible scenario. Uh, they lose three to four games, um, come really close to winning the Big Ten or winning the Big Ten, which considering I had them really low on my uh, <laughs> preseason list, that'd be an incredible turn of events, right? You then just sort of have to worry that maybe because the schedule has been uh, – you know, not what you would think it should be uh, because the Big Ten is so weak this year, uh, then you sort of have to worry that maybe they will go into the NCAA tournament with a higher seed and be sort of one of the most vulnerable teams to an upset because, you know, from January to February, you know, through, through the entire uh, Big Ten slate of play, they've really only got a couple of... Uh, sort of tier A Ken Palm games. I think I think there's only five currently on the list, and, and one of them is Northwestern on the road, which, frankly, you know, with the way with North, that Northwestern has been playing, I'm not necessarily convinced that that's a tier A, <laughs> that that'll stay a tier A game. So, I mean, you're looking at maybe four games there. They've, they've had a few preseason, um, but they lost nearly all of them. You know, um, They've won the ones at home, none of them away. I, I worry that maybe they are on track for one of those high seeds in the tournament, maybe like a 5-12 scenario, maybe even a 4-13 scenario. Uh, if you're somebody who likes to fill out the bracket, keep an eye out for whatever that matchup ends up being, and if, especially if it's a mid-major that can hit the glass. Uh, that, that might spell trouble for Ohio State. Um, that's enough Big Ten talk. Uh, let's talk maybe some... Uh, SEC, let's talk Kentucky. I know our listener, uh, Huggy Bear, is excited for the Kentucky talk after last night's calamity against South Carolina. Um, here's the good about Kentucky, right? And, and a lot of these are going to be familiar to Kentucky fans. They get to the line at a really high rate. Uh, one of the bad would be they're not a good free throw shooting team, but if you get to the free throw line a lot, then that can help leverage some of that, right? Because even if you're a bad free throw shooting team, odds are you will get one point per possession that ends in a in a shooting foul or in a bonus foul. So that, that'll help their offense long term. I think they hound the perimeter really well. Uh, they're holding SEC teams to 25% shooting from three. You know, again, that, that shouldn't be too surprising with the length that they have. Um, and then their three-point shooting, honestly, not as bad as advertised in preseason. You know, I think in our pre-season episodes, we alluded to the fact that Kentucky's biggest problem was going to be shooting. Uh, and that definitely has not been the case. Uh, you know, uh, Gilgis Alexander has shot the ball pretty well. Um, Kevin Knox has definitely regressed, uh, you know, but... You know, Quade Green, if they get him back uh, sometime soon, he helps a lot there. Gabriel has shot the ball pretty well. Uh, Diallo's shot is much improved uh, from what people expected it to be. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of good there and certainly a lot of potential 
going forward, obviously, that's something you say about Kentucky every year. The bad is that through SEC play so far, their interior defense is the worst in the conference, which is really surprising for a Coach Cal coach team with this kind of size. Um, teams are scoring from two-point land at will against Kentucky. They are also an uncharacteristically mediocre rebounding team for Cal, which, again, uh, maybe you know Vanderbilt might be able to help that going forward, obviously, but, I mean, they've still got some big bodies that they can play, that they have been playing, and they're still sort of mediocre on the boards. That's definitely something I never would have expected coming into this season from Kentucky, that in SEC play they would have had trouble on the glass. Uh, defensive rebounding in particular, they are they are giving up offensive rebounds at a really high rate. Um, and when you watch the games, I mean, that also shakes out. I mean, you see big men get caught out of position. More disciplined boxing out teams have, have had their way against Kentucky on the offensive glass. And they're also pretty turnover prone. I mean, I, I, I've been high on Gilgis Alexander, um, you know, especially on his potential. But against South Carolina, you absolutely saw bad Gilgis Alexander come out. I mean, he had zero assists and six turnovers, and they didn't have Quade Green available. So, I mean, if you're getting seven assists on a game, if you're Kentucky on, uh, you know, 22 made field goals, I mean, that, that explains a lot. It was, off, it was an off night for Kevin Knox, you know, and again, they're, they're missing green to some extent. But, yeah, South Carolina deserves all the credit in the world. Their defense is really tough. It's been tough. Silva, obviously, was just super dominant on the inside, uh, made, made the bigs of Kentucky look, look as young as they are, right? Um, but, yeah, so, that, and believe me, as a Duke fan, I know that South Carolina can, can – come in there with less talent and bust a young team's ass. I mean, I've seen it happen, obviously. But, yeah, I I wouldn't worry long-term about Kentucky uh, unless the rebounding and defense continue to stay mediocre. Again, maybe Vanderbilt helps that long-term if he gets some good minutes going. Uh, obviously, they need Nick Richards to really step up in that regard. Um, Tennessee, uh, a team that recently beat Kentucky, uh, good – you want to talk about crashing the boards, they're the best in the SEC at crashing the boards, uh, and they're a great shooting team. That's obviously a really terrific combo, because if you are one of the best three-point shooting teams and you get a ton of offensive rebounds, you're going to get a huge shot volume uh, that's definitely going to be a great benefit to your offense. They're a really great passing team. They're sixth in the country in their assist ratio. They've got pretty good depth. And I also think their brutal schedule uh, so far gives way to an easier home stretch than most teams have available. I mean, uh, so far, they played, uh, you know, Arkansas on the road. Uh, they got their game against Auburn out of the way. Uh, they played one of their two games against Kentucky already. Even though Texas A&M has not looked as good as we expected, they don't have to play Texas A&M again. So, I mean, really, they've only got a couple of games and they have Florida at home only. Um, so, yeah, there's only a couple of games there on the schedule that I think are very possible losses for Tennessee. wouldn't surprise me to see them end with, like, five, six losses in conference, which, considering how relatively strong and deep the SEC is this year, I think that'd be an incredible resume for the tournament. I'd say the bad is, you know, right now their defense – they're good at turning teams over pretty well, but uh, they do give up a pretty insanely high percentage uh, in terms of opponent field goal shooting. 
so they're trying to consistently outscore teams, which can be a really tough game to play, frankly. I mean, uh, certainly that's why a team like Auburn that is so effective at running a very high-tempo offense was able to get away from them. Same with Arkansas, right? Um, you know, uh, teams that want to run and that can score effectively are, are going to have their way against Tennessee. And so they're going to need to make stops or at least uh, discourage strong shooting from those teams. Uh, and also pushing the tempo offensively makes them occasionally turnover prone. They're also just, you know, somewhat of a young team. I'm not overly concerned about the turnovers. They just need to start playing better defense in order to be sort of <clears throat> one of those unexpected uh, SEC title contenders. Well, that's enough from the SEC. Let's talk some Big 12. Kansas. Uh, the good is the shooting. Right? The shooting is sort of a no-brainer. They're a very good shooting team. They have a pretty strong perimeter defense. And also, you know, I wanted to add into the good column, it's Kansas. Right? Uh, Kansas at home is really, really good, whether you think that's the refs or the home court advantage or whatever. Uh, they play really, really well at home consistently every season. They know how to win big games every season. Right? They They have that experience. Teams like... West Virginia, Oklahoma, they've got the monkey on their back of they've got to try to topple Kansas. So I think that that helps Kansas tremendously. Uh, but there's some very obvious bad this year with Kansas. Um, too many jump shots. Uh, again, not getting to the free throw line uh, at a good rate. Uh, and then a really weak interior defense. Uh, and they're a bad rebounding team. Uh, Bill Self has not had a sub-100th in the nation offensive rebounding team since 2004. And this year, they're 184th. So if you're a jump-shooting team and you can't grab offensive rebounds, all it's going to take is one bad shooting night and you're toast, right? Because um, they don't get to the free-throw line. <clears throat> they don't play a bench at all, basically. And they rely a ton on just basic jump shots, uh, and they can't defend the interior on the other side. So that's definitely going to make this Kansas team a little more vulnerable than most years. Uh, obviously, it's going to make the Big 12 a little more interesting. Uh, they're currently tied for first, obviously. West Virginia and Oklahoma are sort of considered the heavy contenders, but they're a game behind, which, again, for Kansas is is very, very good news. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Kansas wins the Big 12 again, uh, despite all of these problems. But, again, if you're looking for a team that could fall early in, conference, uh, in the NCAA tournament, Kansas is going to be very vulnerable uh, unless they fix some of those problems. Maybe uh, Silvio D'Souza could help if Billy Preston is able to return. He could obviously help on the inside. But I wasn't overly impressed with you know what Billy Preston brought to the table defensively uh, before he left. So, um, yeah, uh, it'll be an interesting uh, end of the year for Kansas. They'll probably have to sweat a little more than normal. West Virginia. Uh, some very good from West Virginia. The normal things, right? The press fantastic the shot blocking the interior defense in uh, particular Kanate I mean uh, people who watched the Kansas game um, know that he's a beast down low he's a monster uh, and they shoot over 80 percent from the free throw line which in close games is going to help West Virginia win the bad is obvious uh, they're not great offensively again anybody who watched uh, the end of that uh, West Virginia game knows that, uh, yeah, sorry, the Kansas-West Virginia game, they know that the offense just is stagnant. It's like, get the ball to Carter, have him shoot. And, you know, that's 
that's going to be really, really predictable for opponents to shut down, uh, as it was for Kansas to do. Um, you know, they shoot 31% from three, and they're top 100 in the country at three-point attempts. So they're a very perimeter-oriented offense with bad perimeter shooting, which is really, really not good. Uh, they've got to start getting more help on the perimeter if they're going to shoot the ball that often from out there. And, you know, I, I talked about the free throw line, which is really important for them. But the last two seasons, which were sort of the best press Virginia seasons uh, in recent memory, they got to the line a lot more frequently at a lot higher a rate than they are this year. So they've really got to turn that around and get to the line at a higher rate in order to sort of leverage the three-point shooting difficulties that they've been having so far this season. Uh, otherwise, again, we've seen West Virginia fall early in the tournament. If there's a team that can manage the press, you know, their offense is, is vulnerable. They're not a team that's going to, you know, outscore you terribly consistently. So something to watch there. Uh, I would talk about Oklahoma, but I'm just going to talk about Trey Young because we've seen the good and the bad from Trey Young over the last two weeks, right? There is very, very obvious good. Uh, again, he, he helps make his teammates better. Uh, he's a Terrific three-point shooter. He enjoys the big moment. Um, slick handles. Uh, you know, I, w what is there to say that isn't being said on ESPN consistently uh, and that has already been reviewed on this uh, on this podcast before, right? But the bad was also sort of apparent. I mean, the cliche is when people talk about uh, there, there used to be all these people, maybe they're still around who talk about how Steph Curry is negatively impacting the high school game, which is that point guards or, or, or small guards in general shoot the ball aggressively and crazily, you know, because they see Steph Curry do it. And Steph Curry has heroics, right? He makes it. But a lot of the shots that Steph Curry takes for any other guard are bad shots. Right, And Trey Young is definitely vulnerable to being the guy who chucks up shots that because they've gone in for him before, he thinks they'll continue to go in for him. And yet, uh, that's just not always the case. I mean, obviously in the TCU game, he was absurd. He was 10 for 18 from three. And some of those threes were just dumb. And But they went in. So maybe he is one of those guys that can make him at that rate. But in the West Virginia loss, he shot three for 12. And the Kansas State just smackdown, uh, where Barry Brown really put the clamps down on him, he, he was two for 10 from three. You know, so I, I don't know that it's as consistent as a team that's going to be really, really reliant on his scoring is going to need. Because, uh, you know, <laughs> I, just, I just worry. How many times is he going to be able to go 10 for 18 from three? to win a game. He shoots 37%. It's doable, but at that high a rate, it's just absolutely bonkers to to comprehend. I, I know that listeners are probably sick of me talking about it so far. The fact that, you know, my eyeballs tell me that the kid is killing it, but my brain tells me that there are certain elements of his game that will make them vulnerable. I mean, in against tier A opponents, and that includes, uh, you know, some some big, big, big-time opponents, right? Um, against Tier A opponents, he, he's only shooting 35% from three, which, again, only 35%. But when against a lot of the other opponents, he, he's making it a much higher rate. It skews those numbers a little bit. The other thing to talk about, obviously, is the turnovers. In the last two games, he's had 21 turnovers. 
and the loss to West Virginia had eight turnovers. I mean, he's it's very, very possible that he will average over five turnovers in Big 12 play um, for the season. And, you know, really at this current rate in Big 10 play, he's had 7, 6, 8, 4, 9, and 12, 21, 25, 33, 39, 46 out of 6. I mean, that's that's well over six turnovers a game. It's a little skewed because of the two most recent games. But at the same time, uh, if, if you're sniffing that, uh, you know, the assist numbers are obviously high and, and help sort of balance that out. It's just part and parcel of the high tempo and the high usage rate. But again, he's a smaller guard with the ball in his hands a lot, being asked to do absolutely everything, and he's ultimately a freshman. And so I wonder whether Oklahoma is as good as they look right now, um, even though they've got some very impressive wins, primarily because they're so one-player reliant. And because that one player could have a shooting regress some, could be bullied on defense a little more, could have a, a higher turnover rate. But then again, he's also the guy who could go 10 for 18 weirdly on a, in any given day. So what do I know? Um, that's the Oklahoma slash Trey Young report. Um, let's go to the ACC. Let's close on the ACC. As I promised, we'll we'll wait and do Duke at the end. Let's talk about Notre Dame, a team that I was really impressed with this week. Uh, still competitive without Bonzi. I know they lost their last couple of games. But I thought when Bonzi Colson left, and especially because they were without Matt Farrell there for a couple of games as well, I thought they were going to be absolutely screwed. <laughs> I thought they were toast. Um, but they honestly might be better defensively without Bonzi Colson. They're the third best defense in conference play so far. And Bonzi, again, for everything great that he gives on offense, he definitely defensively um, had his limitations, right? Um, so I, I, it's very possible that the team might be better without him. Uh, I think Martinez Gebbin has been terrific uh, in Bonzi's absence. He's holding down the offensive glass very well, uh, which means that shot volume is still going to be the name of the game for Notre Dame as it has been o- over the last couple of years. Uh, but the bad this year, and this is a big one, they can't shoot the ball. They're not a good shooting team. Uh, it's weird that a Mike Bray coach team is shooting a lower percentage than Georgia Tech right now in conference play, but here we are. I mean, their shooting percentage through, again, a relatively limited sample size, is the worst in the ACC. So Notre Dame still being competitive is really, really impressive considering they lost a an All-American. And they were, even went a couple of games without a prospective All-ACC guard. Um, that having been said, uh, you got to win games eventually. And to win games, you got to make shots. And unless they start making shots, it, it won't matter how competitive they are. Uh, they've they've got to win at the end of the day if they want to make the tournament. Uh, Virginia, currently in the lead in the conference. The good is all just the typical Virginia stuff, right? They have terrific perimeter defense. They don't turn the ball over. Um, Decent rebounding. This year, they also have a lot of three-point shooting options. So, you know, uh, in the past, it's been, you know, maybe more overly reliant on a single player, right? On someone like, you know, Malcolm Brogdon or whatever. This year, they've got Hall. They've got Jerome. They've got Guy. I mean, um, Nigel Johnson has come in and made some good shots in the past, right? So uh, there's definitely some good there, right? Um, The problem is going to be, uh, at the end of the day, um, I lost my sheet. They've only played two road games in the last two months, so I wonder whether their dominance is sustainable um, on the road. 
where, uh, you know, they just have not been playing nearly as much. You know, their back end of the schedule is going to be a lot tougher. Duke on the road, Florida State on the road, Miami on the road, Louisville on the road. Um, they've obviously got a couple of teams that are coming to town that'll be tough as well. Virginia Tech, who, you know, has given them some trouble in the past, although, Christ, not in that earlier game this season. Holy Lord. So, yeah, I mean, I I just wonder the degree to which this is sustainable. Um, they also are very jump shot reliant, uh, much like Kansas. You know, uh, guys like Guy, <laughs> guys like Guy, and Jerome, you know, they're not they're not driving and drawing fouls a lot. You know, right? They're they're beating you with jump shots. So again, that that to me is always a very very dangerous sign when looking at teams that could potentially get upset. You know, maybe not a bunch in conference play, but are vulnerable in a single game in the tournament. Right? If you can make some threes against Virginia and Virginia's jump shots aren't falling, they don't have a high free throw rate. Their offensive rebounding. Uh, is not special. I think they're like 10th in the ACC, uh, probably sub-200 in the country. So their shot volume is not going to be very high. Makes them a little bit more vulnerable than most. Uh, talk about UNC. Uh, the good offensive rebounding, obviously not UNC's problem ever. Um, their small lineup, which I talked about from the very beginning of the season, as UNC fans will remember, obviously that's going very, very well for them. Um I would continue that tremendously if I was Roy. You know, Roy's not an idiot, I'm sure, I, and I think he started the small lineup uh, in their last game. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if it continues. Um, I know that's probably going to be a little scary for Roy, but, you know, it's going to make their offense a lot more efficient, in my opinion. Uh, and then good, let's give it up to Stitches, Luke May. You know, uh, Luke May playing uh, and playing decently after getting clocked in the face in the last game. Um, you know, you got to give credit where credit is due, right? Uh, the bad is still, despite the fact that uh, Stitches Luke May, you know, showed some real heart out there, which obviously is going to endear him to fans very much. At the end of the day, you still bully him to make him vulnerable. I mean, I, Isaiah Wilkins obviously had a field day with him in that UNC game uh, versus Virginia. Uh, I, and not every defender in the country is Isaiah Wilkins, but uh, the games in which you've seen UNC struggle more are games in which Luke May tends to struggle more, and he struggles when he's played very physically. So teams with big men on defense who like to really pound are definitely going to have, uh, you know, some fun with Luke May, or at least they're going to, you know, slow him down, which will slow UNC down. Um, UNC's defense has not been good in conference play. Now, maybe that's part and parcel with the small ball lineup on offense, and so maybe that's just sort of a trade-off that they're willing to take, because if their offense is that efficient, then they can live. But their defense uh, so far in conference play uh, is pretty poor. Uh, they're allowing the 12th highest shooting percentage. Um, they don't turn teams over a lot. Uh, they're allowing the 10th highest shooting percentage inside, the 11th highest shooting percentage outside. You know, um, and the outside shooting thing doesn't bother me that much because that's something that's going to be very up and down on a, on any game basis. But the fact that they're as vulnerable as they are on the interior, uh, that tends to be something that sticks a little bit more. So it'll be interesting to see how that plot line plays out with UNC. And then the other thing is, you know, UNC weirdly, again, so far uh, this season, 
they're shooting the ball a lot. Um, and by shooting, I just mean like jump shooting, right? Um, their rate of getting to the foul line has not been what one would expect uh, from North Carolina. You'd expect North Carolina to make it to the line a lot more. Uh, this year, uh, they're sub 200th getting to the line um, in the country, and then they are dead last in the ACC right now, uh, if memory serves, in getting to the free throw line consistently. So because they're sort of an inconsistent jump shooting team and they don't get to the free throw line a lot, again, that's uh, the offensive rebounding will help that tremendously, obviously. But at the same time, that definitely means like on the road they're going to be quite vulnerable. Um, you know, be interesting to see how that continues to unfold. And then finally, Duke. Duke, uh, let's start with the good. They're the most efficient offense in the ACC by a mile. Um, Marvin Bagley is the obvious player of the year candidate uh, in the ACC. Uh, no one can tell me otherwise. I know people want to talk about Luke May, player of the year in conference. Just look at the numbers and try to convince me uh, it's just not going to happen. Um, Trayvon Duvall is shooting 40% from three in ACC play. Didn't see that coming. Uh, good for him. Uh, would love to see, see that continue as a Duke fan. And then, you know, a lot of, a lot's been said about Duke's defense, um, which has been bad, but they are sneakily good at defending the interior. Teams are only shooting in ACC play 43% from two point land, which is really good. Obviously from three, they are giving up a lot, but, uh, as mentioned in the past, Boston College and NC State, you know, they absolutely blacked out from three. And so I wonder whether those numbers are skewed. Yes, they did get too many open shots, but at least against Boston College, that was part of the game design was to let them shoot the three. So the fact that they all went in, you know, that'll happen to a team, right? Um, so I wonder if the defense, it, it, it's still not great, but I wonder if it skews worse on paper and just from the eyeball test because of the three-pointers than it actually is. Um, you know, the bad is obvious. The perimeter defense, yeah, it's, it is bad, right? I'm, I'm making excuses for it to some extent. I'm just making excuses to expect a regression, right, uh, a regression back to the mean. You know, if Duke right now in conference play is giving up 41% from three, um, you know, and the average – three-point shooting uh, in the conference is 35%. So, yeah, I mean, there's going to be some obvious regression there. Uh, those Boston College and NC State numbers clearly skew uh, the line a lot. Not not the NC State numbers as much, but the Boston College numbers in particular. Uh, 15 for 26 in that game Boston College was. I mean, that's just that's absurd, obviously. So, you know, we've seen some improvement uh, to some extent already. Um, over the last couple of games in that regard. But yeah, um, then again, the Pitt numbers really balance it out too because Pitt couldn't make anything because Pitt is terrible. So maybe it is as bad as it looks. Uh, the bench minutes uh, are still a big concern. Javon Delorier and Marcus Bolden have been out. Um, and so when Capel coached uh, against Wake Forest, he definitely played a deeper lineup. But it's definitely something that Kay has been resistant to do, even by Kay standards. Um, an interesting stat that I saw is this starting lineup for Duke has played the highest volume of minutes of any Duke team in recent memory except for two. And the two teams that played their starting lineup this much, 
2010 and 2015. Something to think about. I'm not excusing it. I would love to see more bench play. And obviously in 2015, the bench play was huge and critical in Duke's uh, championship run. But um, something to consider in terms of why Kay thinks that playing the bench is not great. Um, bad free throw shooting team. They get to the line at a good rate. Um, same things, as I said, as Kentucky here, right? They get to the line at a good rate, which is really good and will help offset that. But in close games, you really want to make your free throws. And then Grayson Allen has been just flat-out bad. Um, he had a pretty good game despite not shooting the ball well against Wake Forest. We had like 11 rebounds, 12 rebounds, 8 assists, something like this. He's shooting 19% from three in ACC play. I mean, these shots are not close. I don't know what's going on with him in terms of shooting the ball, uh, but he is hardcore slumping. Now, again, there will probably be some regression, um, but if you make that argument with Grayson Allen, you also make it with Trayvon Duvall, <laughs> that there will probably be regression, right? So um, it'll be interesting to see how both of them continue to shoot, hopefully uh, for Duke, uh, because three-point shooting has been sort of a consistency issue. Um, it'll sort of even out towards a mean, and Gary Trent will continue to keep shooting as well as he has been uh, doing, because obviously the Miami game, he was instrumental scoring 30 points in that to bring Duke back. Um, and then uh, the last bad with Duke is, again, you just have to wonder if they keep having these games where they're losing with eight minutes left against a good team, <laughs> and then they come back and win with a miraculous run. Why can't they do that for a whole game? You know, um, that's definitely something that if you're a Duke fan, you worry about. It's something that I worry about as a Duke fan. Uh, it gives you a lot of confidence that they can close the game even if they're struggling. But that's just not sustainable. They, they've got to be able to get a lead on teams early uh, and, and bust out that sort of last eight-minute intensity consistently. Otherwise, they'll continue to lose games um, in conference. And again, I, I think the ACC, especially because they lost – to uh, more winnable games, you know, that's going to make it really hard for Duke to catch up with a team like Virginia in conference, um, where Virginia, again, unless there's some serious regression, they don't have to play UNC on the road. Um, they don't have to, I mean, they've got a bunch of good teams on the road, a lot of road games coming up, uh, by my count, eight out of the final 13 are going to be road games. But again, Virginia's got a uh, a two-game lead on them in conference. So if you're a Duke fan that wants an ACC title, you've really got to hope that, A, Duke doesn't mess around in those beginnings of games, and B, that Virginia regresses to some extent. Um, let's talk about games coming up this week real quick. Um, if there's anything interesting on the docket, Auburn at Alabama I think is going to be a really interesting one tonight. Um, because Alabama is one of the best defenses in the SEC, and Auburn is the best offense so far in the SEC. Uh, so definitely one you want to keep an eye on. Uh, I like Alabama for the upset, personally. Uh, Arkansas at Florida. Uh, Florida really struggling. Definitely needs a big game here. Uh, Villanova at Georgetown, KB. That'll be Villanova. Um Anything else interesting tonight? No. Moving on to Thursday, St. Mary's at Gonzaga. I was high on St. Mary's coming into the season, but especially at Gonzaga, you have to go with the Zags. Um, nothing else really interesting there. Friday, nothing interesting. Saturday, Savior at Seton Hall. Give me Seton Hall. Give me the home team here. 
Wichita State at Houston. Uh, this was one where earlier in the season when it was Houston at Wichita State, uh, KB picked uh, Houston for the upset and Wichita State won by 18. Uh, I, this is definitely a more vulnerable position for Wichita State, but I, I still have to ride them at this point. I, I think they're really exceptional. Uh, TCU at Kansas State. Um, Kansas State, you know, definitely showed that they've got some potential, the depth of the Big 12 there. Um, I like Kansas State to pull off the upset here. Uh, Creighton at Providence. Um, you know, I, I still like Providence a lot. I know they had a couple of games that they dropped early in, in conference play. They didn't look great at DePaul from what I saw, but um, at home against Creighton, give me them. Um, Oklahoma at Oklahoma State is going to be a really fun matchup. Um, they, Oklahoma State really got jumped on at home, uh, at Oklahoma, but now that it's at Oklahoma State, it should be really close. Ultimately, I think Trey Young is probably going to have a field day in this one. Florida at Kentucky. Uh, the only team having more trouble on the interior than Kentucky is probably Florida at this point, so give me Kentucky there. Uh, Notre Dame at Clemson going to be another tough, uh, day for Clemson there, or for Notre Dame. They're just... It's going to be a, a long season for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Miami at NC State on Sunday, a very tricky game for Miami. Uh, NC State has definitely looked good at home, beating Duke, beating Clemson. Uh, give me the upset over Miami as well. Um, Virginia at Wake Forest. Look, if, if, if a team is going to beat Virginia, they're going to have to make a lot of threes. Wake Forest is capable of doing that. My, my concern is that Wake Forest can't play defense well enough to make it happen, but that's definitely one where you could eyeball if you wanted a gigantic onions pick. I bet Wake Forest will at least have a chance at keeping it closer than somebody would expect. Uh, Monday, West Virginia at TCU. Uh, at home, give me TCU. Uh, TCU has been very, very good in conference, despite the fact that they're losing a lot of games. Um, it's just a really, really tough conference. They've been losing very close games, one-possession games. Ultimately, you have to think that that turns back around. Give me TCU here. UNC at Virginia Tech. Um, mm, this is a tough one. Um, I, at home, I mean, give me Virginia Tech. Uh, because if UNC wants to play small ball with Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech will be happy to oblige. Uh, that's definitely what Virginia Tech likes to run with. And, you know, I just don't know that UNC is going to want to try and play bigger against Virginia Tech. They're just not going to have that level of confidence there. So uh, give me Virginia Tech with the upset. Um, anything else interesting Monday? No, probably not. Okay, so uh, you've heard my Onions picks. You've heard my picks for the week. Um, thank you again for listening. I very much appreciate it. Uh, I am at Russell H. Film on Twitter. KBAD is at KBADDS on Twitter. Uh, we are both at at Seconds, the number two madness on Twitter. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, uh, Um, You know, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps with our visibility. I know that the reviews uh, might come a little slower now that uh, we had a somewhat erratic schedule over the last couple of weeks. I'm going to try to make this a more regular schedule, uh, hit our once-a-week mark with some sort of guest one way or another. Thank you to all the listeners who stick with us. I really appreciate it. Um, it's obviously a really exciting time for me personally, um, but I also really love doing this show, so I want to continue to be able to do that. Um, that's going to bring us uh, to a close. Uh, sorry also for sniffling into the mic a lot, probably. <laughs> I'm also battling a little something. Uh, so, you know, take that for what you will. 
Uh, I am Russell Hainline for KBAD. This has been 2.1 Seconds to Madness. Good night.